Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Midweek Show. We are um, going to have a chat today with some guests uh, about that, so let's roll the video. So guys, council housing and the decline over the years is the topic today. To help me discuss things today, I've got Perry McIntosh. Good afternoon, Perry. How are Hi, you? Good afternoon. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. It's been a good Tuesday so far. It has. I've been a really busy day today. I love your flowers in the background. Thank you. Spring has come. And, <laughs> yeah, I know. And we've also got Andrea Stanford this afternoon. Good afternoon, Andrea. Hi, Richard. Hi, Perry. Hi, yeah. Uh... So yeah, um, I think a really important subject, um, especially in today's, um, obviously the way the market is and the way housing is, uh, there is a housing crisis. And as I say, obviously 69% drop in five council housing. Progressively over the last 40 years, um, a few interesting facts is, uh, I've got here in, in 1981, 59% of the properties in Fife were council houses. Um, and today that figure stands at just 18%, a proportional drop of 69%, which is amazing when you think about it. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of changes um, and a lot of factors that influence that over the years. Um, do, you, do you agree that you've noticed that over the years with council housing and, and the current situation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everyone seems to be struggling to get property at the moment, whether they're buying or whether they're renting. Um, Obviously, we've got an armchair company that you cover, Richard, in the letting side of things, and there's just yeah. as much high demand for a private let as there is for private purchasing properties at the moment. So certainly something that we see on a day-to-day -day basis, people speaking about how they're struggling to secure something for themselves. And also, actually, if families have had a council property um, and their family has grown, what they're finding is they're actually squeezed into the house that they're in because they can't go on to a bigger property because there basically just isn't the supply there in the council environment for them to have that you know i've got a family member at the moment who's got two kids and they're in a two bedroom but you know they've got a teenage son and a young daughter so it's really difficult for them to move on to that in that particular area but they love the area they love the schooling so they don't want to move so they're having to kind of make do and end i guess which a lot of people are yeah. doing just now, aren't they yeah, I, I see that. That's a brilliant example. I see that quite a lot. Obviously, like you say, on the letting side of things, people come into the private sector because they didn't have any, they didn't have any option in the uh, social housing. Um, there's no council houses to accommodate them as they grow as a family or they grow as a unit. Um, yeah, I see that a lot. Um, I mean, why do you think the number of council houses has dropped so much in the last forty years? I mean, um, I mean, it's quite a it's quite a drastic change over the, progressively over the years. I think obviously we know that. Um, obviously people were, there, were at one point allowed to then obviously buy their council houses which took a lot from the stock that was already there um, so I mean do you any of you have a, have a view on why you think it has dropped so much I think it's they're not building more new council housing stock I mean, they yeah, are starting definitely. to gradually build it but they're um, they've just been very very slow um, one of the other things is that people who have lived in their council houses for a long time that didn't want to buy them are still there. It could, it could be an 80, 90 year old lady sitting in a three bedroom council house while people are struggling to get 
upgraded but you can't force that person to move but i mean the old pensioners houses that they used to have the little one bedroom ones yeah they've been sold off they were bought and now they've been sold off and you've got you know know how popular they are uh, but but it was all quite political really back in you know margaret thatcher's day I think she had this vision that the more people that owned their homes would be voters for the Conservative Party. I may be wrong in that. That is my own personal view, and I'm not saying that, that is say what In your opinion, Andrea. In my opinion. But, I mean, it, it certainly was, um, you know, it was a big boost for her that she needed at that time that got her into, you know, uh, to become Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, and now... They're, they're hardly reaping the benefits of it now because they're now seeing so many people displaced with with no chance of getting a home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And 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 for me, it's definitely that they just aren't building enough um, council housing. Uh, obviously, um, married with the fact that obviously people were allowed to. Um, I mean, obviously, no longer you're allowed to no longer allowed to purchase your council house, but at some for a period of time you were, and it did. I have an impact on the amount of available properties for people in the social housing sector. Uh, but yeah, definitely for me, that they're not building um, enough council housing. And and not just in Fife, I think that's in the country in general. Yeah. Um, well, I know it's in the country in general, um, across the country. So, um, But yeah, the, the ability of local authorities to build council houses came into law in July 1919, um, with the 1919 Housing and Town Planning Act. Now, it was one of the most important pieces of uh, domestic legislation passed after World War One, and was the first time in the UK that national public funded system for providing housing was made for the masses and basically rolled out. Um, it was paid for mostly by the general, uh, the central government and provided by uh, local authorities, obviously the councils and things, uh, and public utilities, uh, social, uh, societies which in later years became today's housing associations, which obviously um, they are responsible for obviously building the social housing in the Fife area and again, obviously, in the areas across the country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. Between 1919 uh, and 1979, 6.94 million council houses were built. Uh, now, let's just have a look. I've got actually a graphic here that will demonstrate that visually to put it into perspective. So you can see here, obviously, I mean, look at the spike here um, and the amount of houses that were built during that time. And then as you head into the to the late, um, like the 80s, late 80s into the beginning of the 90s, you can see how that dramatically drops all the way down um, from the, 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 obviously that's 1969 here, uh, around about that time. And then for there, it progressively obviously drops then you're down here, this is 19, um, that's 1985. It peaks again, but obviously as you come into the 90s, you can see. So you can see that trend there and the number of houses built. Um, but that's, I mean, that's an amazing uh, amount of properties to be built in that period of time. And then it just falls off, basically, or levels off, um, which is... Uh, which is interesting, and just over 1 million council houses were built between 1920 and 1939, whilst 5,800,000 uh, 5, and odds, obviously, council houses were built between 1946 and 1979. Um, and this is compared to just over 4.5 million private houses 
and just over a quarter of a million housing association properties in the same time frame um from obviously 1946 to 1979 um so yeah i mean a lot of stats here obviously about the the um amount of properties being built um but a drastic change to what we are looking at today and obviously populations today in comparison to back then um so obviously there's there's no um surprise that we're in the position where there is a housing crisis and people don't have anywhere to live absolutely think about history back then as well though primarily most people did have council property didn't they yeah, the higher population had that. So, I mean, between 1946 and 1979, the council houses were the dominant force in British housing. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly not the case just now, is it? Um, and that all changed in 1979 um, because of the topic that uh, Andrea has already mentioned. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, many people do believe that Margaret Thatcher was the architect uh, following the tenants and the councils and putting the properties yeah. up and allowing people to buy the whole. But interestingly, council houses tenants have been able to buy their council houses from as early as 1930s. Yeah, just so it does go back, popular, yeah, you're right. But it, but it was possible to do it, albeit that it was little or no discount. Um, but as late as 1977, the Labour Housing Minister published a green paper extolling the virtues of home ownership and council tenants being able to buy their homes at a discount. And I think that's yeah. where we really saw that influx, Andrea, wasn't it? And when yeah. all the, the right to buy scheme and the council discounts came into play, um, people suddenly thought, actually, I can own this, you know, which was never something really that that group of people at that time would ever have anticipated. So it opened up a whole new um, opportunity for people to become homeowners and get on the property ladder. Yeah, yeah I looked up some stats myself, actually, off a different website. Um, you know, the, the discount that were applied to council houses for purchase, you could get up to 70% off a flat discount mm -hmm. from a flat of its market value and also up to 60% of the market value of a house. Now, that is a huge saving for someone. And also the, the added benefit was that they didn't need a deposit because yeah. the equity that was within the house was regarded as being the deposit. Mm -hmm. So although they do, they do have or did have to live in the property for a certain number of years before they could uh, make that purchase, um, you know, ranging from two years up to, and depending on how long they'd been in the house, um, they could get a higher, you know, up to the highest amount of the property. Yeah. See, you, you guys, you guys will remember this. I don't. <laughs> I know what happened. <laughs> but uh, obviously, um, but yeah, obviously, a, a complete uh, shift in times now. Obviously, to what the situation we're in. Um, yeah, but the last council house was sold in uh, 20, 2016. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, when it first initially rolled out and things, I mean, it was way back, obviously. I mean, yeah. um, I think worryingly, uh, though, is that they still allow the sale of, um, you know, the housing association houses. And we've seen quite a few of those, you know, through our yes. own properties, you know, that you go in and you buy a part share mm -hmm. and then you know in a year and you can buy another 25 percent of it uh, or you can you can sell your 25 percent after a couple of years or you can sell the whole lot it's not just your own share so we're still there's still stock getting lost there in the housing market that technically should be for people who really can't afford mm -hmm. to get you know a full yeah. the full whack of a house yeah 
Yeah, it's, like said, it's like we were saying earlier there, Richard, about the stats, you know, up until 1979, nearly 7 million council houses were built. Yeah. And that all seemed to that all seemed to change in 1979, didn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, after that general election, the Tory government drafted the Tenants' Right Act in Scotland for, of 1980, and that gave the right to buy scheme that we're talking about really to yeah. come into effect. Um, and that became law in the autumn of 1980, and that's when I think things really took off for people, and that's when we started to see everyone suddenly deciding that they had a great opportunity to own property, something that had been beyond them. Um, and certainly in Fife, we saw that quite often in yeah. some of the town areas that we are with a, such a big mining community, and all of a sudden they had this great opportunity not only to work hard for a living, but also to have something that represented all that work by then owning their own home. And I think that's when you really start to see it take off. And that new law established a right for most council tenants who had been in their homes for at least three years or more to have that yeah. discount. Um, this kind of started at 33% and then increased by 1% for each extra year up to a maximum of 50%. So, I mean, if you think about it back then in the 1980s, if you were able to, you know, if you'd been living in that property for more than three years, say 10 years, you yeah. had the opportunity to own it for half of its street value, which was massive really for tenants then. Yeah. Um, and if the tenants sold the houses within the first five years of ownership, um, they had to have a proportionate repayment, you know, they had to pay some of that discount yeah. back. But, you know, it was still a very driven thing because Andrea said earlier on there about, you know, deposits, etc. Their value of their property would have increased anyway. So whatever they were paying back, they had it was still a fantastic investment for them and it gave them the monetary funds to then perhaps upgrade, move to a different area or actually then assist family members to then buy their properties. And you you'd absolutely saw that knock-on effect in, in the early 80s, I would say. And that's when it became a bit of a boom for us, didn't it? Yeah, and then you see that. I'll just quickly flick back, and, and that just, what you what you explained there, Perry, it's totally depicted in that graph there. You can see it clearly, like I say, mm -hmm. for 1979, and you can see that decline and then how, it, how, how that trend uh, follows the stats that you just obviously covered there. Um, and uh, yeah, but like, yeah, between 1980 and 1989, uh, just under a million, well, 970,558 council houses nationally were sold at a discount. Um, yet the issue was when a council house was sold, it took that house out of the council's portfolio. And this is, I think, what obviously started this problem. Um, um, and it, it wasn't there for future generations. So from the start, there was limitations on local authorities use of monies from the council houses sales as most of it had to be given to the central government of london meaning only 300 about 390,000 or just over uh, 390,560 new council houses were built between 1980 and 1989 looking at the numbers locally mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense i know when you talk about figures sometimes it could be a bit um so in 1981 there was 69 just over 69,000 council houses in fife um, today there is only 29,000, well 29,009 um, and obviously I know that, that they are trying to build council houses but they're, they're never going to be able to meet the demand uh, uh, or what's needed. Um, they're, they're, they're falling far short of what's needed to be built mm -hmm. in the way of social housing, um, or council housing and Fife and across the country. It's not wonderful when you see those stats, though, that you know the country has a housing crisis. You can yeah. kind of actually see how that is. Um, but yet, as the regular readers, any regular readers will know, um, the devil is always in the detail, and the devil yeah. is in the humble housing association, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you know, while housing association was a great idea at the time, is it really delivering what's needed now in regards to 
property and management of that property for individuals and, and getting themselves on that ladder. And the Tory general election manifesto in 1979 proposed the rights for both council house and housing association tenants to buy their houses under the rights of the buy to scheme, the right to buy scheme, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Conservatives argued that housing association property shouldn't be. Um, and they, they obtained government funding. So the subject was that the right to buy proposal for councils and the government won the vote in the Commons, yet lost the vote in the Lords, meaning that housing association tenants could not buy their homes at a large discount. Mm-hmm. So while private housing could be in regards to council housing, when it swapped over to association, that's when you started to see a bit of a decline, really, and people being able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think the government have tried to make some kind of compensation towards what is lacking out there at the moment um, mm-hmm. in two ways. Obviously, any new housing development that's getting built, there has to be a certain percentage of those properties are built as affordable mm-hmm. homes. Um, I can't remember the exact percentage, but you know, if you're building over a certain number of houses, you have to build affordable homes within that. Um, You also have to make a contribution to the education department as well. Um, Not sure a lot of people know that one, but uh, obviously if you're building over 10 homes, you have to to make quite a large uh, contribution for to the schools. Um, The other one that came to my mind was the lift scheme, which is low income first time buyers. Um, You know, that's a part by part share scheme uh, with the government and then you gradually you can purchase more back of the property or you can buy more of the equity in the property that the government has helped you to buy um, so that has helped offset some of the people that you know maybe wouldn't have been able to get a foot on the ladder mm-hmm. in the first place that's true that's true and it has helped some people we hear that quite often don't we yeah i mean i've seen it help a few people obviously um, and that's that's what it's designed to do. But um, a lot more does need to be done, um, obviously, to kind of... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are always people out there who will never be a homeowner. And they yeah. probably don't wish to be a homeowner. A lot of I was just going to say, there's a lot of people who now who don't wish to own their home. I think it, mm-hmm. it's always been quite a big thing for people that want to own their home. And now it's becoming a wee bit more common. That, and I see it quite a lot. A lot of people prefer to rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and choose it as a lifestyle choice as it, as it suits them a lot better. It's, it's uh, works out a lot better for them in a financial mm-hmm. aspect and a lifestyle aspect and things as well. So yeah, um, yeah I do see that quite a lot. So if there's no council houses for them to go to, and there's you know long waiting lists for social housing, where where are the people going in the meantime, Richard? Well, I, I mean, obviously they're coming to the private sector, and we see that quite a lot. And that's what we touched on at the beginning when. There is a lack of social and council housing for people like like Perry says, obviously expanding families and people that are just outgrowing their existing um, properties. Then they, they don't have the option to go down the route with a with a local authority or, or a council because they they don't have the stock to to obviously um, supply them with a property. So they're coming to the, the private rented sector, and that's why that's why I think we see such an influx. I mean the letting side of things is so fast paced um, and it just seems to continue to get busier and busier um, and that's that's the knock-on effect from the lack of uh, council housing. Um, but to obviously the number of houses obviously been uh, between 1949 and 1979 so the average number of housing association properties built 
annually was just over eight and a half thousand. Um, since 1979 to until today, um, it has been just over five thousand per year, um, and thirty one just over thirty one and a half thousand per year um, in 2010. Um, so that's quite interesting uh, statistic. Um, so the government encourages councils to transfer the remaining council houses to housing association schemes, and they have done since uh, 1986. Now, the advantage to these stock transfers was the government allowed housing associations to access private funding to improve their existing properties and buy new ones. Um, good news for existing tenants um, complaining that the local authorities never upgraded their homes and things. Um, obviously, you hear that obviously with a lot of the bigger portfolios for housing associations that um, obviously they upgrade some things. And if they do decide to do upgrades, it's a long time to go to to get that, obviously execute that whole process. So, um, moreover, the Tory government uh, liked, stocks liked stock transfers as it allowed them to dismantle council housing from the inside. Uh, but interestingly, Labour expanded the stock transfer process in 1997 uh, and further reduced the eligibility for council tenants' right to buy, meaning the number of council houses, uh, the number of council tenants exercising the right to, bu to buy then de declined considerably. Um, meaning today, even though the provisions for council housing has dropped, um, like the proverbial stone, um, the number of council uh, housing association properties in Fife has increased from 912 in 1981 to just under uh, 8,000, well, 7,948 today. Um, so that's some interesting facts there about obviously how things have, the progression of things and how things have changed, I think. Uh, which I is think it I mean. does, yeah. yeah. And it goes back to what you said earlier, Richard, as well. I think one of the things that we certainly see, because I've got a few friends that are in association properties and we've got a few mm -hmm. dotted around leaving that have just recently been built. Yeah. Um, and my son's actually in one in Aberdeen as well, and he was really fortunate. So what you have there then is you're not going into a council building or flat that has been built in the 1900s that is needing vastly renovated, yeah. is very outdated. He walked into what was almost like a purpose-built private apartment um, that no one had lived in. He got the keys on day one after it being completed. Um, and it's a beautiful apartment with a lovely fitted kitchen and like walk-in living space and all the mod cons and nothing yeah. needing doing to it. So when you make the comment earlier on about some people choose to be in that environment, absolutely they do because he could not afford to purchase one of those apartments yeah. in Aberdeen. So he now lives in a fantastic apartment that is comfortable for him on his monthly billing, um, that doesn't need any maintenance or anything done to it, and has quite a nice lifestyle there because yeah. of the fact that, you know, that he's got this great property that, that ticks all his needs and is a healthy place to live as well, um, and is new and is fresh and doesn't need anything doing, versus maybe having had to go into an old council housing, as we've described, um, mm -hmm. that council just don't have the money to invest because they're struggling to try to build new housing so it's that catch-22 that they're kind of yeah. in that portfolio um of pain i guess aren't they yeah that's a that's a brilliant example i mean obviously a property like that in aberdeen that you've just described would would come at a premium um mm. and uh, obviously but that the lifestyle for him is that um for your son is that obviously he could live there he can afford mm -hmm. to live there and mm -hmm. uh, obviously um so it's lifestyle choice for him and, and it works for him financially and things as well and we see it time and time again um whether they're coming and and, and again whether they're coming through into the, 
obviously the private sector for private lets and things but some of them are like why would I, why would i want to buy my house i could stay here i could have this lovely newly uh, refurbished property um when they take into the consideration the financial aspect of it when you factor in obviously um your mortgage and bills and things and you know what I mean a lot on top when you and, and then obviously insurances and upkeep and and you know what everything that comes with being a homeowner as you all know yourself as well um is it all it's cracked up to be um do you know what i mean is it uh, when you've got either an association or a private landlord or, a, or whatever looking after the property and paying for all the maintenance and if things are to go wrong um whether it be a boiler a boiler fix or something with the roof or a mutual repair and things um things can be costly and, and i mean you all know over the years you'll probably come up against it and i mean i've only been a homeowner for six years um and i've already had the experience of bills for repairs and, and upkeeps mm. and, and obviously I need to take into consideration insurances and mortgages and do you know what I mean there's a lot there's a lot to take into consideration and and um, maybe there's a lot to be said for uh, staying in rented accommodation and the benefits of having that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think with the Housing Association properties as well I mean having grown in five eightfold over the last like 10 years um, how do you think that that's changed the dynamics of the five property market in the last 40 years now? I think it, I think it has changed it vastly and kind of, I think we've went from, um, we went, like you say, was originally it's been, there was so much uh, social housing and things and then we went to this kind of nation of, um, obviously, homeowners, everybody wanted to own their home and I think now it's kind of flipped it on its head and we're kind of turning the other way and I think for, apart from the fact that maybe People are doing it as a lifestyle choice. Some people don't have the choice because uh, they can't be a homeowner. So obviously, mm -hmm. then obviously that's where the lack of social housing really comes into uh, an important factor for obviously housing people, uh, not just in five across the whole country, uh, because without that, then some people they wouldn't have a roof over their head, mm -hmm. uh, and that's where it becomes really important um, and a really important part um, in the housing sector. And obviously. Um, from a homeless point of view and things as well. I think mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that work uh, within the council and things and obviously just conversations that the amount of people that are added to the, the homeless register and things um, is just uh, unreal. I mean, it, un, un, unusually uh, high and it has been for some time uh, and it shouldn't be like that, especially not, I think, in this time, in the, uh, this day and age, um, we shouldn't have such a an issue of uh, potential homelessness and a lack of um, housing and basically um, basic human um, necessities, I think, in, in this day and age, uh, which a lot of people are without. Um, and that that comes hand in hand with the lack of housing. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And the people that don't have the choice are the people that I really feel for. You know, mm -hmm. when you see how many homes have been sold um, you know, to private people, you know, people in the private sector, and it doesn't give those people a chance anymore. And uh, there is just nothing else out there for them that is affordable. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're at the mercy, you know, of landlords to, that will decide what they they want to charge. You know, the council was always a good bank. You had a good solid, you know, structure around you. You, you knew that, that somebody was on hand, sort of like. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if there was anything went wrong. Um, and a lot of people don't have that in their landlords because there's a lot, of, a lot of landlords out there that are just not 
you know, cutting it when it comes to the care of their tenants. Yeah, and I, yeah, there are, I mean, there is landlords out there, but I do have to, I do have to jump to the defence of private landlords. Obviously, I do mm -hmm. represent quite a few, and uh, the the benefits to the private sector, um, especially at this time when we don't have enough uh, council and social housing and things that the amount of housing that we provide for people that are in circumstances like that, mm -hmm. especially at certain areas and uh, Fife and things, there's a lot of vulnerable people um, who come to us and we provide housing for um, who have, have exasperated every other option and, and are basically otherwise going to be going down the homeless route. Um, yeah. well, that's fantastic that you have so many landlords that are happy to, you know, take people in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. But you know, I mean, I've had the experience of you know friends who have not been able to, you know, they've had to go down huge uh, red tape routes and everything because they had a large family and um, no income uh, that was coming in, and they just they really just couldn't get anything, and they were desperate. They were sofa surfing. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know what I think, and what I've noticed as well recently, and there's a few, uh, I mean obviously predominantly I do sales and uh, I do lettings and things, but I do sales now and again, and obviously there's a few I've done and they've ended up being sold, they were ex-local authority properties, and they've been mm -hmm. sold back to the council, and I'm sure you've dealt yeah. with a few of them, yeah. Uh, yeah. particularly over the last year or year and two, um, and the council are actually buying these properties back um, mm -hmm. at the home report or even above value, so that obviously to replenish their stock in their portfolio. Um, because and, and that's that's where we've got to the point. So I think it's quite strange that we've went from a, went from a, a time where we were where they were selling them back, selling them to people, and now they're buying them back. Yeah. Um, so obviously, whether whether that was the right decision for them in the first place or not. Um, but yeah, I have seen quite a lot of that. Uh, and and interestingly enough, interestingly enough, um, I mentioned this in one of my videos uh, the other day. But there's around about. 2,000 just empty properties in Fife, line empty. Um, and I think that's, um, I mean, in all honesty, I, I, I do see quite a lot of empty properties. Obviously, I do, um, I'm out and about quite a lot. And I've noticed that there's a lot of empty properties, um, whether they're obviously privately owned or a mixture yeah, yeah. of obviously empty council houses and things. But um, there's a lot of houses that could be utilised for housing. Um, and when you, when you see the the um, situation that we're in with homelessness or potential homelessness and uh, even in just in Fife and then you think of all these empty houses that are sitting there which could be somebody's home um, mm -hmm. there really has to be something that could be done about that um, and I think the big thing that I see there now is that investors, uh, private investors are looking for these empty houses that are maybe a wee bit run down even uh, renovated picking them up, renovating them and putting them on the private uh, obviously, the, the letting side and, uh, and, and they're in, in the private sector, which, is, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is providing the housing that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Yeah. Um, so. it's, it's, it's interesting, we're talking about that and supply and demand, etc. Yeah. But would it surprise you to learn that the number of people who own their five property today is very similar to what it was 20 years ago? Uh, but that would surprise me. I mean, mm -hmm. it's funny because. You wouldn't think that you would think it would be different, but it, like mm -hmm. if you're saying like it's fairly similar, then yeah, that is surprising to me. What were you, Andrea? I'm surprised. I mean, I I've been in a very fortunate position that I've always, apart from when my father was in the army, um, he came out of the army when I was four. Mm -hmm. Um, I've lived in a private house ever since, so I feel I've been in a very privileged position to be able mm -hmm. to say that. Um, 
I would hate to have to try and be waiting for council property now, being on a waiting list and then having to take the first <laughs> thing that they offer you um, or you get put to the bottom of the list. I mean, that you know, you've maybe got your children settled at school, you don't want to move. Um, but as Perry was saying earlier, um, you know, somebody's happy in the area they're in, they just need more room. Yeah. Now, there's got to be something that can be done that can streamline those that don't need the amount of rooms now to those that do and get get them swapped <laughs> yeah well i mean they, they did try they implemented obviously the bedroom tax thing and, and that obviously uh, before to try and tackle that situation as well it's funny you see about the council waiting list i wouldn't even call it a waiting list now because i mean the amount of people that tell me that they've been on it for i've got years um, yeah. I mean, it's such a long waiting list, um, mm. even here in Fife, and, I, and obviously I'm certain that across the country it's the same uh, mm. for a lot of uh, local authorities. But I think the fact that it's low level for 20 years, even like before the property boom started, yeah. is quite, a, a, quite an interesting fact. It's not something I had thought until we started kind of researching the article. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just that even though we've had a large drop in the number of council houses and an increase in the number of housing association properties, mm-hmm. the number of people owning their own home has remained relatively the same. Um, in some areas of Fife, this has actually increased. Um, the significant issue is the growth of the private rented sector. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the private yeah. landlord sector is is a, a huge growing environment and everyone's got a different view of that. Yeah. But it's almost like people who used to rent from the council are now renting from private landlords. Are you seeing that, Richard? Yeah, and that's and I, and I do see it a lot, and uh, I think that's it's married with the fact that, well, like I say, waiting list uh, is so long. There is such a shortage in houses, as you said, Perry. As as family units grow and people expand and things, they're just they kind of facilitate housing for them. So the the only route for them to go is to the private sector, um, mm-hmm. and I think hand in hand with so many new investors coming into the market recently. And picking up all these empty properties and renovating them, bringing them back to life and putting them uh, back into use and providing housing. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's, I see it um, progressing every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it raises two really big questions, doesn't it? Um, the question is, is it right for a private individual to make money from tenants who rent from them as opposed to local authority? Or are private landlords providing better types and choices and quality of accommodation for their tenants, albeit at a higher rent rate? than if they were renting a council house. What's your thoughts on that, Richard? I mean, you, you live this every day. Yeah, well, I, I would totally agree. I think it is right that they do that because otherwise then, if they're not doing it, then then it's not going to get it's not going to get done. And then ultimately, uh, we would be in an even worse uh, position with uh, a, housing, a housing crisis, I think. I mean, we're in a housing crisis as it is, um, but I think to take away the private sector and um, why shouldn't um, landlords, within reason and with, within like market, um, obviously market restrictions and things that they um, bring properties up to a really good standard, look after them, uh, put tenants in and command obviously the rent, um, even if it is slightly higher than maybe what local authorities uh, or, or local councils would, would charge. Um, yeah, I would agree. I think it should be done. That's not what I'd well, of course I do. I do it every day. <laughs> um, I mean, it's an industry. Isn't it? The private rental market is an industry and nobody goes into industry not wanting to make money. 
So, I mean, it, it's like your shopkeepers are not going to, they have to make a cut at the end of the day on the, on the goods that they sell. And yeah. landlords, what they're selling is accommodation. So, and they need to, they need to be able to make something out of it as well. I do think though, I think obviously, I think it's quite right that they do, as long as they are doing it properly. And I think obviously if they're providing um, a certain level of housing, which is obviously, um, like obviously, you, I don't know if you watched yesterday, I don't know about Lee Refurb and what kind of level to mm -hmm. provide housing at and make sure it's compliant. And, and, and obviously landlords and agents like myself that obviously manage for landlords and things have a duty of care for tenants to make sure that, that they are comfortable where they live, they're happy where they live, they're safe where they live. Um, so yeah, I mean, there is obviously a small amount of landlords across the country who are classed as maybe rural landlords and things who don't follow the, the rules and, and provide obviously housing that I wouldn't consider obviously adequate or suitable for people. Um, so there is that element, but the majority um, of people that are wanting to be landlords want to be landlords because they see it as a positive impact for housing and obviously um and things as well but it also benefits them which mean if they and if they've got money to invest in the property and help provide housing and make themselves um money through running a business ultimately because that's what it is then i think it's uh, definitely something that should be done as well as providing a service though i think that a good landlord also is providing actually a better home. We spoke earlier yeah. on, didn't we, about the council and the investment in property, etc. Yeah. But what, what we see, um, and certainly what I see from the landlords that, that I've inter interacted with is that actually yeah. the standard of living is so much better for the private tenant as well. Yeah. Um, and there is an element of security there too for that private tenant. And I really do believe if it wasn't for the growth of the buy-to-let landlords, um, which began in the early 2000s, we'd have an even bigger housing crisis than we have at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree. And that's what, that's what I was just touching on there. I would totally agree with that. And and Perry, you'll know for experience yourself, you sold your house and in between buying your next property, you let a property. It was one of one that we had. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you have got that type of property that, uh, on from the council or, would you, uh, or in between you wouldn't have been able to get? I mean, obviously you weren't in that position, but just as an example, yeah. um, no, in reference to the quality of the property and things. Yeah, I mean, we were really, we were very fortunate. Um, I mean, the quality of that property was high end, um, but I wasn't paying high end rent. I was paying yeah. a fair price for a great accommodation. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly got the attention to care if anything was, you know, broken, needed repairing, anything like that had happened. Yeah. But, you know, it was, as you had mentioned earlier on, Richard, about the approach that we take and many of our landlords do, you know, it was newly furbished, it was new bathroom, it was new kitchen area, new carpet, newly decorated. So it was presented to me um, as if I had just gone and bought it, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. So for me, as a, as a tenant at that time, it was a very positive experience. And I think that there will be thousands of tenants out there who are having that positive experience. And that's why I say about the fact that, you know, Actually, if those individuals aren't there renting out their high-end properties, then where do other people live and what would the crisis be like then? Because actually it would be a hell of a lot worse than the situation that we're in at the moment. So yes, there are businessmen out there and women out there who are, are doing this for, for profit, but actually they're also providing a really much needed service and they're doing that to a high-end standard from what yeah. I've experienced. And I can only go about what I'm experienced. And that's certainly what I found. 
yeah and i i do feel like um from my experience as an agent and things obviously i started back in 2010 um and i could see how things have progressed and how things have changed and how legislation and uh, landlord registration and things like things that obviously have governed the private sector to ensure that it's um i mean some landlords uh, obviously do find it frustrating because there is a lot to contend with mm -hmm. um, and that's obviously goes um hand in hand with having an agent like myself obviously look after things because that's their job and if you if you're a private landlord sometimes you don't always have the time to do that because you've got other things and other projects on the go mm -hmm. um but in order to be um, a good landlord and provide the right level of um housing in my opinion is to abide by all these rules mm -hmm. uh, and there's a bit of that landlords get a bad name <laughs> uh, and, and you will hear it a lot and um i think it's a shame because i mean there's a very very small percentage that um avid classes maybe the rule got or um bad landlords um the majority mm -hmm. are all um very obviously enthusiastic about their venture to do buy to let investment and provide housing and things like that so um yeah and, and like you said Perry, it's quite good to have somebody with an experience as well i mean i let i let property uh, before i bought mine as well and um, subsequently i'm in my house that i used to let i bought it but that's a long story but do you know what i mean well i let this property before i bought it um and i would never have bought it if i thought it was substandard or mm -hmm. do you know what i mean um so so there's another example um, but the private sector, if we did not have it and have the housing that, especially here, in, I think particularly here in Fife, for what I've experienced over the years, we would have a big, a worse, an even worse problem of housing and homelessness yeah. and things. Um, there is areas uh, throughout Fife where there is a lot of vulnerable people and um, struggle to maybe financially and housing and things. Um, and I've helped a lot of them myself through the years and I know that there's a lot of other landlords that have. I think without us being there, where would these people be? Where would they have lived? Where would their kids have lived? Um, so there's a lot to be said for it. Yeah, I mean, it's been 14 years, back in 2008, that the local and central government um, really had their hands tied regarding mm -hmm. funding and everything, and it, it basically just crumbled from there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they do say that, you know, it's been the humble landlord, private landlord, that stepped up yeah. and supported in excess of 2.3 million additional rental properties since 2001. Um, the housing uh, housed nearly five, well, has housed over five and a half million uh, people. So these landlords have saved the day. Yeah. So hats off to the landlords. sell off in the 80s. Yeah. So I think if you, I mean, take out, think of the position, the situation we're in just now with housing and things. And if you Think about over the years if you were to take out those just we'll say, nearly two and a half million house, houses, take that out of the equation. Um, how would housing be, be able to be provided to um, to these people? So yeah, you need to look at it like that. So yeah, I do I do think the humble landlord has played a big key part um, in that. And, uh, I think so. Uh, when, you, when you look at two point three million additional yeah. rental properties since twenty. So sorry, since two thousand and one. So in twenty years, two point three million properties. If and I don't know how much of a proportion that is five right enough, but if yeah. we go back to some of that earlier stats that we talked about, um from nineteen eighty one until present day, so that's forty years, mm -hmm. housing association only produced just under eight thousand houses. Yeah. So it's how do you compare that to two point three million properties in, in half the time, you know? So there is absolutely a massive um demand for it and mm -hmm. and supplies being created for private landlords because as andrea rightly said you know 
councils that you just don't have the funding to to build the number of properties that are needed yeah yeah and i think that the, for me as a and more housing needs to be built uh, and that and that's always something that we'll have to keep pushing and keep pushing that there needs to be more housing built um for the councils and social housing um and in the meantime and for a long time it's it's going to be um the private sector i think that obviously is the buffer for that becoming a, a bigger problem than what it is uh, and it has been for some time and i think the figures that we've spoke about today and things really demonstrate that um, and quite a lot of interesting facts we've covered today, um, especially with the figures and how the trends from obviously back in the, the early 80s or 1979, obviously, and how that trends changed right up into the 90s and then to where we are today. Um, mm -hmm. And then the introduction of, I mean, there's always been private landlords, but the, the, the influx of that obviously over the years and how that's changed things and the positive impact it's had on uh, housing. Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, we, you know, in regards to my thoughts on the, the humble landlord, when we look at those numbers, you can absolutely see that they are impacting that and they're providing roofs over people's heads um, and quality product as well from what I've experienced. And I think without that, then actually there'd be much more homelessness out there. Um, and so, you know, Five Properties is a company. We, ha we have an, ar an arm to our business that's letting Richard, you're the letting director, of course, everyone will know that. But you know, we're here to help. And if anyone is struggling and they're finding themselves in that situation, and even if it's not from us or they're just looking for some guidance, you know, we've got experts that can help with that. And people should certainly reach out, whether you're a landlord wanting to get into the, the business and, and maybe needing some investment and guidance, or whether you're someone who's really struggling for property or needing to upgrade, um, please do reach out because, you know, we're here to help and give advice to you and see how we can potentially swath that pain that your, your, kind of, your situation's got you in at the moment. Yeah, and property standards such a big thing for me, and that's what I done. Um, I done in the wealth creation show yesterday about how um, property um, improvements and things are so important to making your tenant happy, making your your and but and, and but in, in turn making your actual rental property profitable as well. So if you put the money in, you get the money out, and 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 have a happy tenant is a big part of a successful um, letting process in a buy to let business. So um, it's not just about landlords making profit. It's it's um, about obviously there's a whole there's a whole scenario which marries up together, and a tenant's um, happiness and a property's um, standard and uh, safety levels and things all marry in together with that. Um, and that's a, that's a very important important aspect about it. Um, Andrea, you know, yeah. um, my final thoughts on it is that you know. I still I feel for the people that are homeless. Uh, with the, you said, Richard, there are so many empty properties out there. It, you know, something has to be done about that. Yeah. There's no need for people to be homeless in 2022. No, in this day and age, it shouldn't be such a big issue as what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, the vast amount of empty properties, um, it's, it's scary that they could be sitting empty and people could be sitting without yeah. a home. I think there was a scheme down in England actually somewhere where people, um, if they found an empty property and they managed to convince the, the owner of it that they could go, could live in it if they did it up. Um, I don't know if that's been spread throughout Scotland. or it's something that's come thing. to me. But I mean, I think that the, be the best solution to the empty property thing is, is investors picking mm -hmm. them up and... Uh, renovating and, and, and getting them back into usage uh, as actual housing um, and 
the thing is with the private sector, it makes it a bit, it's a, it brings available housing back to anyone. Do you, know what mm -hmm. I mean? you don't have to be, um, obviously, certain criteria and things apply, but I mean, they are open to anybody for uh, available housing. Uh, whereas the social housing things and that is obviously you're limited in, in supply anyway. So, yeah, I think it's really important. And um, I think that, as you said, Perry, if, if there's anybody out there who um, needs any advice and things about obviously um, anything to do with vital aid or investment or obviously um, even re even the renovation process and things of what kind of levels, like I, I touched on yesterday, drop, it some, drop a comment in the comments or message me direct and I'd be happy to help. Um, and I'm sure you guys, if you could provide any help or assistance to anybody, um, which would um, help them along in, in, in their journey uh, with housing, you would be happy to do that as well. Absolutely. So guys, no, I, as I say, there was quite a lot of interest in um, stats and facts in there and things that like you even brought to attention there, uh, Perry, that obviously in the last 20 years, the actual amount of homeowners hasn't really changed that much. Um, which is surprising even to myself, but it's not until you actually look at facts like that and, and think about it um, that that makes sense to you or, or, it, or it becomes um, apparent to you. Um, so, yeah, but the the um, the blog for this one will be in the uh, link so people can have a read and, and look at the stats in more uh, detail. Uh, and we'll follow up with the podcast for this for people to listen back to. If you've not got time to sit and watch the show, uh, please do, because there's quite a lot of interesting um, stats and things in there. But thanks very much for joining me this afternoon, guys. That was good. Thank you. Um, Thank you, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. guys. Bye.